CPA and CFP Don Cash has made it his life's work to help people like you plan their finances and achieve their retirement goals. It's time for your money and your life. Welcome into another edition of the podcast. Once again, Don Cash and myself here to talk investing, finance, and retirement on your money and your life with Don Cash CPA and CFP. And we're going to be talking about the debt ceiling and the Federal Reserve rate hikes and really kind of just what to think about, what to do. Uh, Some good information as always from Don on this topic. So let's dive in. Don, what's going on, buddy? How are you this week? Hey, Mark. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing pretty good. Uh, Last time you and I chatted, you had been down here in my neck of the woods and you were headed off to Washington to D.C. for a meeting. How'd that go? Well, Mark, you know what? The one thing I do like about meetings in Washington Mm -hmm. is that I can drive there Mm, and avoid the airport, which is good. I mean, it's, you know, usually not a terrible drive. It's like maybe three, three and a half hours. Right. The only thing I have to say that I miss about the COVID experience in 2020, and there's really nothing that I can think of other than this, is driving with no traffic. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, for those of us in the Northeast, we all know that traffic between let's say the new york city area and washington can be near gridlock in certain spots like driving down the new jersey turnpike or through baltimore as you get near washington it it took me over five hours to drive home and Mm -hmm. normally like i said it's about maybe three three and a half hours yeah that's brutal you know my wife and i were commenting we were going to a hockey game not long ago uh, the the Carolina Hurricanes are in the playoffs, and we were in, they were doing all kinds of road construction, and you know it's like they weren't doing a lot of that, you know, during during the pandemic stuff. It's like this was a job that could have easily have been deemed essential. <laughs> yeah. They were outside. Typically, they're in like their own individual, you know, Tonka toy anyway, right? Driving to various different loaders or whatever, and there was no traffic, so it'd been so much easier for them to work on the roadways when there were no cars. But of course, you know, now they're now they're out there doing the roadways, and then of course you got cars everywhere, and traffic gets worse, so. Not a lot of fun, I'm sure. Did you learn anything? Did you learn anything exciting, by the way? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. We all know that the politicians love figuring out ways to spend our money. Right? Of course. One thing you learn in Washington is that they love spending money, blaming the opposite party, right, for everything, and cleverly looking for ways to raise taxes without losing support from voters. Okay, that's kind of like the game. Right. And the one takeaway that I, I, that we discussed before is that taxes are going up uh, by law, right. January first, twenty twenty six, unless Congress takes action, and and we know there's a, a debt time bomb that is really much much larger than most people realize. And what I continue to learn when I meet with other experts uh, down in Washington is really how to plan to get around these tax changes. Mm. You know, let's talk a little bit about that because you mentioned unless Congress takes action, right? So right now, obviously, the talk on Capitol Hill is about extension of the debt ceiling. And they are saying that this is really a potential crisis that could lead to default on our national debt and lead to financial downward spiral. So, I mean, is this stuff that they do once again to scare people and to kind of newsworthy as far as like, you know, clicks and and eyeballs and all that kind of stuff? Or or is this something we should really be concerned about? Because the recent Federal Reserve rate hike, you know, and what all of that kind of stuff combined means for all of us, our listeners included, of course. Yeah, you know, the Mark, these debt ceiling fights, it seems like they're happening more and more, you know. It more seems more almost like com- every year or, or yeah, something. Yeah, it's more and more common, right, yeah. recently. Yeah. And, you know, keep in mind that neither political party wants to get blamed 
for causing any financial crisis or potential crisis. Right. But here's the big picture. I looked into this recently. Since 1959, so this is going back over 60 years, Congress has raised the country's debt ceiling 89 times. Wow. <laughs> so it's like more, it's really more than once a year. It really is, yeah. Yeah, and the most recent was about a year ago when President Biden raised the the debt ceiling by two and a half trillion dollars. So we have to keep this stuff in mind. Okay. Well, so maybe we should break it down a little bit. Uh, what exactly is the federal debt ceiling? A good question. So here it is the federal debt ceiling as defined or the debt limit, as they call it. It's the amount of money that the federal government is allowed to borrow to pay its bills. <laughs> so this Jeez. includes things like, you know, the big stuff like social security, Medicare, Medicaid, military, uh, interest on the debt, which is growing more right, and more. Which is massive, year, right? And other, you know, major expenses and small expenses too. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, she said raising the debt ceiling is effectively agreeing to raise the country's credit card balance. Right? Jeez. So right now the national debt is thirty one point seven trillion dollars. And it's going up by the minute. Look at the debtclock.org. We talked about that a couple of shows back, right? Right. Yeah. It's that like, if you Google debtclock.org, you'll see in real time the national debt going up before your eyes. Yeah. This th it's really hard to, uh, to comprehend. Excuse me. I mean, it's just these numbers are vast, right? It's just so hard to imagine. It really is. And, and you know, I think it, it also. To make sense to kind of take a, a step back and look at the income and the expenses of the federal government and kind of how we got here mm -hmm. and put it in perspective. So the total income, the federal income for 2022 was about $5 trillion, right? For the year. Okay. For the year. The total expenses, federal expenses for 2022 was $6.5 trillion. Right. So the deficit was one and a half trillion dollars. That's last year's shortfall. You, and you can't run your household that way, right? I mean, yeah, think, yeah exactly. That's the point. And yeah. we'll get, you know, that was like kind of the analogy to look to step back and we'll get yeah. into oh, that. Sure. Absolutely. Janet Yellen's point is if we turn the clock back only five years, Mark, the total income for 2018 was three and a half trillion dollars. So now it's five trillion. So okay. we've gone up in income, right. even through COVID. Right. The total expenses five years ago was four trillion dollars. Still, still, and, yeah, still operating in the negative. Then, still the negative. Yeah, you know, not as much, but four hundred to five hundred billion dollars. Still right. a lot of money. Right. But to use Janet Yellen's example of the of the consumer credit card and how you can't run your family this way. Right. If, let's look at it from the standpoint of a family budget, and let, let's say instead of five trillion dollars, your family income was a healthy. $500,000. Okay, sure. And it's, instead of $6.5 trillion of expenses, you had $650,000 of expenses. So you had a $150,000 deficit. So you have to ask yourself, would you say you had an income problem or a spending problem. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting looking at that. You know, and I think most people would say we probably have a spending problem. We need this is this is how much we make, so we need to get our expenses under control. Uh, because you always hear, you know, debts and deficits and you don't necessarily talk a lot about incomes and expenses. Um, so that is an interesting way of looking at that. What so what happens if they don't raise the debt ceiling? 
Yeah, we have to keep this in mind, uh, Mark. This is really not likely to happen. We talked about history, right? Right. Uh, there's currently a deal on the table for the president to sign. It would basically raise the debt ceiling by one and a half trillion dollars. So we'll be doing this again at some point in the future, in the near future. <laughs> in eight months, yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe eight months, a year. Who knows, right? In the near future. Right. But the deal is with a link to raise the federal spending by only 1% over the next decade. So if there they're, is wait, no... Wait, wait, They're going to agree to only spend 1%? Well, that's where they are right now. Right? That's what <laughs> I think we'd all love to see that, wouldn't we? Well, that's the point. They were saying, well, let's go back a year or two, uh-huh. freeze federal spending at that high level, uh-huh. but only increase it by 1% a year. Hmm. Because one of the big problems is during COVID, the federal spending went up by $7.5 trillion. Well, yeah, we were sending out stuff everywhere. And we were spending so much money. Now, income did go up, but expenses went up much, much more. Right. So if there's no deal reached, theoretically, the Treasury could fail to pay interest on its debt, right? which could cause higher borrowing rates for the government and the public. Uh, of course, stress the value of the U.S. dollar and create problems potentially in the stock and bond markets. And, uh, you know, a lot of people remember this. Back in 2011, there was a big debt limit standoff. This was shortly after President Obama was elected and they were pushing through spending uh, bills and they were creating Obamacare at that point. There was a lot of pushback to that. Mm-hmm. And the summer of that year of 2011, the government treasury bonds were actually downgraded by the Standard oh, yeah. & Poor's from AAA to, to AA, to, right? To AA plus. It was oh, like AA one plus. notch. Okay. And there was an expectation of a big drop in bond values because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the crisis came and went. Debt limit was raised once again. And the government bond values actually went up, not hmm. down. Interesting. Yeah, I do remember that. So, uh, and it definitely was a big deal. And yeah, a lot of times, right, we we get the chicken little sky is falling, right, and that kind of kind of comments and those kind of things are certainly plague the news, right? Everything's doom and gloom, so it gets a little scary for folks. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And looking at those numbers, one thing many people fail to realize is that. The increase in the interest we now pay on the federal debt mm-hmm. is going is getting higher every year. Last year, the interest alone on that federal debt, that thirty-one trillion dollars, right, was five hundred billion dollars. Crazy. So that was almost eight percent of the total federal spending, and that was before the big run-up in the interest rates recently. So. That is hmm. one of the big issues that they're looking at. It's almost akin to someone who's got a big credit card balance, right? Mark, yeah. Getting back to Janet Yellen's point, and if you have interest so high on the debt, it's hard to get ahead of it. Sure. So, I mean, that was one of the things they made. That I mean, I think that was during Obama as well, right? Where they did that whole thing saying that they had to disclose what happens when you only pay the minimum amount because you're never getting ahead and. You know, all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, yeah you're talking about the credit cards, of yeah, course. Yeah. So you see it on there, it's like, wow, if you only pay the minimum, it might take twenty or thirty it years. It takes thirty years to do it. Yeah, exactly. And that's if things don't get worse, which, you know, for many people in that position, things are getting worse. So the f- recent Federal Reserve rate hikes really don't help the situation. Mm, okay. And that's why the federal government has 
every incentive longer term to try to keep these interest rates lower, right? Not higher. Sure. Because those interest rates, let's say it is 5% on $31 trillion. Now you're talking about over trillion, trillion and a half dollars just in interest on the debt. Mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, well, okay. So since you brought that up then, so speaking of the Federal Reserve, let's talk about the Federal Reserve rate hikes. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, that it has that impact on the national debt and obviously for future uh, debt ceiling battles as well. As well. So uh, how do we see this playing? Yeah, there's no doubt about that for sure. There's going to be future needs to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, but here's where we stand on the Federal Reserve action. So only since last March, this is only a year and two months, mm-hmm. 22, the Federal right. Reserve has raised interest rates by 5% total. Now, that's the largest increase in that short a period of time since 1979, when former Federal Reserve Chairman Paul Volcker raised interest rates from 11% to 20% mm. in 1981. Can you imagine that, Mark, 20%? Yeah, wow. That is kind of shocking in comparison. We're, we've been complaining and upset and frustrated as it is with what's you know been happening. Imagine that 5% compared to 20 certainly kind of stark. Right. I mean, back then, people were looking at Paul Volcker as being, you know, like a villain. Like, how could he <laughs> yeah. be doing this right. to us? Come on. In this time of economic turmoil, you know, people who remember this, 1979, 1980, 81, things were really, really rocky. But many people think that that was really one of the reasons that cost Jimmy Carter to lose the election to Reagan. Mm. So if we look back to more recent history, that was over 40 years ago, even as recently, Mark, as June of 2004, mm-hmm. so it was about 19 years ago, right? just after 9-11, right? that was just around the time after the start of the war in Iraq, mm-hmm. and it was actually in the middle of election season. That was the George Bush's first re-election campaign against John Kerry. The Federal Reserve raised interest rates 17 straight times every three months Yeah, for a total of 4.25% of hikes. They were a lot smaller. They were little, little hikes, but they were still doing it a lot, right? Correct. They, yeah. were, they were quarter point hikes every single meeting to raise the rate from 1% to five and a quarter percent, just about exactly where we are today. Hmm. So what was going on at that time that caused the big interest or big increase in rates and how does that relate to today? Well, back then there were two big issues, right? One was the increase in inflation, like we're talking about now. Mm -hmm. And at that time it was a little bit more modest. It was between three and 4%, as well as one of the big issues was the effects of the expected Y2K cash crunch. Mm. In the dot-com right. era too, right? Yep, the dot-com stock bust and the post-9-11 recession. So kind of similar to what we went through with COVID in a way, the Fed was like throwing money out and the government was throwing money out mm-hmm. at the economy. And the Federal Reserve kept interest rates too low for too long. And there was a housing market boom 
and a real fear of <laughs> asset bubbles. So sound familiar? Yeah, right. Well, what's that? Was it? I always forget. Was it Mark Twain that said history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes? Yeah, I think it is. You know, so very interesting. It's definitely a lot like today. So last year, the Fed started raising rates, right? Bitcoin, tech bubble, all that good stuff, right? Yeah, all that stuff. There was there was asset bubbles that began to pop. Now, whether mm -hmm. it's going to be the same with real estate, of course, we don't know. It seems like the banking system is a lot stronger than now than it was 15 years ago. But it, you know, it, it runs parallel, right? History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, like mm -hmm. you said. It, there are things to learn from history. Keep in mind that the Federal Reserve, getting back to that point, it operates, Mark, with something called a dual mandate. Do you ever hear that term? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dual mandate. So they're hyper- hyper focused on two things one is full employment okay makes sense keeping yeah. unemployment low right and inflation sure they want low unemployment and they want a target they call it a target inflation of only two percent right mm -hmm. that's where the problem has been recently the current unemployment rate is very low it's about 3.4 percent so historically low although they're the, there is more um, layoffs, particularly in certain industries. Right, yeah. But the inflation rate, it's about 5%. Uh, and it's going down steadily, but it's still higher than the target rate by quite a bit. Sure. Right. So the current federal chairman, Federal Reserve chairman, is Jerome Powell. Uh, I listened to his speech last week, Mark, after they raised the rates by a quarter point. He had a speech and a press conference going back, and it lasted about an hour. He must have mentioned the goal of 2% on the um, interest rates, on the inflation rate, I should say, mm -hmm. 2%. He must have said that 20 times. Hmm. So clearly that is the focus. Now, the rate of being 2%, if we're higher than that, does that mean more rate increases or, or less, right? So what should investors do? Yeah, that's where the, the, the market's, and the media are constantly trying to read the tea leaves, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, what did uh, what did he mean by that? <laughs> and there are things that they say, there are statements that they write, and they're trying to like ascertain how likely is it mm. for another rate increase. And many people, and many people in the markets are thinking that the rates are going to be cut very soon mm, okay. because of the softening in the economy. I mean, that would so, seem like that would make sense. But again, you know, when do they make sense, right? Yeah, right. Well, they're focused on one thing or two things, yeah. right? And they're looking at other things as well. So there are other things that factor into it. Uh, the most recent thing that's making them consider the pause or making markets consider a cut of course, the the one that happened two months ago was the banking problems. Right, sure. That started bubbling up in March. You know, it kind of just jumped out out of nowhere. The other is really these more substantial layoffs at large companies, particular in the tech field. So the most important takeaways are, I, I think, one, don't try to predict what's going to happen, right? One of the reasons the Fed's in this position is that they didn't see inflation going up this quickly. And you have to ask yourself a question. If the Federal Reserve chairman can't, <laughs> can't, can't predict the markets with their team of experts, yeah, right. how can you? Yeah. Right. And second point is, 
don't make emotional decisions based on recent events. Too many people are getting enamored by higher CD and bank rates, Mark. We haven't seen it in so long. People are like, ooh, shiny object. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. It's like, ooh, look at this. Yeah. Blinky, blinky Uh, lights. I like it. Yeah. Absolutely. That's on on a consumer level. That's what's happening. Sure, yeah. People go down Main Street and they see the, the, the sign in the window or go online or look at their, their, their balances online and they see these things. But many businesses are actually taking the opposite tact and they're pulling money out of smaller banks and putting it in larger banks mm. like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, yeah. Citibank, J.P. Morgan thinking, getting back to the old Will Rogers saying is I'm more interested in the return of my investment than the return on my investment. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, let's talk about that. What is the issue with the higher bank rates? Let's go back to 2006, right? When the rates went up to 5%, about where they are today, the large U.S. stocks in those years when the rates were going up, Mm -hmm. they went up 11%, 5%, and 16% respectively from uh, 2004 to 2006 large international were up 21%, 14%, and 27%. And international small companies were even higher than that. So people tend to get attracted, like you said, the shiny object Mm -hmm. to these local bank rates when they have fear of what the stock and the bond markets have done recently. That's the recency bias we speak about all the time, right? Right. But we have to keep two things in mind. One, The markets are forward-looking, not backward-looking like many people are. And big point, we need to beat inflation, right? If inflation is 5% and you're getting 4% or 5% on savings or short-term CD, you're getting much less than that after taxes, and you're not beating inflation. You're actually losing purchasing power. Yeah, and I think most people miss that point, Don. And and I'm really no matter what the rates are, I mean historically, if you go back and look and I talk with people all the time, they it never beats inflation. Like the rates at the bank never. If 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 you were getting 13% at the bank once upon a time, well inflation was probably 14 or 15, right? So I think that point gets missed often. Yeah, I agree completely. And you have to look at it this way. If you retire at age 65, let's say you need $100,000 to live on, okay, right? Right. Family. When you're 80, you might need closer to $200,000, right? With inflation at the historic rates of three and a half or 4%. Yeah, at normal. Yeah, okay. Could be more than that, of course, if inflation stays high. Right. Right? You can't get ahead of inflation historically with the bank deposits. No. And that's where history repeats itself. People jumped on these short-term bonds and CDs in 2006, 2007, when the interest rates were 5%. Right. And a year later the rates went to zero (laughs) and stayed low for almost 14 years. And of course, you know, in 2008, there was a big drop in the stock prices, but a year later it went straight up for the next 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's where, you know, we got these cycles and that's where, you know, diversification conversations come in play. And I mean, Warren Buffett just had the, uh, the recent annual shareholders meeting last weekend and says, I'm greedy, right? He said this a hundred times. I'm greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And the dude's 92 years old, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's amazing, right? That That's an inspiration to me, Mark. Not the line so much. I'm saying that he's 92 years old, <laughs> 92, and he's still going strong and sharp mind. I mean, that that's that's amazing. Yeah, 
it, it it's a great line and it, it it's a, it's a good thing to keep people mindful of right mm-hmm. it's kind of like um doing the opposite of what others are doing that's kind of his point with that mm-hmm. and i think of uh, that line of like the episode in the tv series seinfeld when George Costanza decides to do the opposite. Oh, he goes, yeah. <laughs> Everything he's normally done in life, he goes the other way. Exactly. The, yeah. He says, I am going to do the opposite of my lifelong inclination. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, everything starts to work out well for him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He, he doesn't trust his gut anymore. He does the complete opposite and it goes great. Yeah. And that's often good investment advice. Do the opposite. Hmm. Now, there's another prior Seinfeld episode, which is funny as well with George in it, that's more in line with like his uh, inclinations and how many investors react to news. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if you remember this one, Mark. He's in the dining room during a kid's birthday party when he overreacts to a small grease fire <laughs> that breaks out in the kitchen. <laughs> and he screams fire and runs out of the apartment, knocks down the kids and an old lady as he makes his oh yeah, cow- yeah he, he yeah. makes his cowardly escape and uh the clown at the party saunters over to the kitchen and puts the fire out with his big shoe. Yeah, like no big <laughs> deal. Yeah. That's also good investment advice. Don't overreact like George. There you go. Yeah, good <laughs> stuff, man, for sure. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack, obviously. There's a lot of these things that, you know, uh, and, of course, the news and the media, as we talked about, they keep these things right in the forefront. They also over-sensationalize and uh, hyperbole all the time. So, again, a lot of times you really need to make sure that you're having the conversations on how it truly could affect you and, you know, are we doing the right things? Are we properly diversified? Are we not uh, getting too overly enamored with the shiny object? You know, that kind of stuff. And that's what Don does day in and day out as a CPA and a CFP. So reach out to him as always here on the podcast. If you're not working with him or if you are and you've still got questions or whatever the case is, reach out and have a a conversation with a qualified professional like Don. Find him online at donaldcash.com. That's donaldcash.com or call him at 800-664-1183. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast, Your Money and Your Life on Apple, Google, Spotify, all that, uh, you know, all the major platforms there. You can find us on those. Just type it in the search box or stop by the website, donaldcash.com. My friend, great episode, good content. Thanks so much for, as always, for enlightening the way. Thanks, Mark. I'll see you next time. Yeah, I always appreciate it, my friend. And we'll catch you later here on Your Money, Your Life with Doc Cash. Investment advisory services offered through Donald W. Cash & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of New Jersey.